What are some things that you need to do? It's rhetorical. Don't start. What, 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 what if you did these things, your life and other people's life and your sphere of influence would be better? What, what would they be? Maybe pay your bills, clean your house, clean my house. That would help me. My house is clean. My wife does a great job. You need to read more and be nicer, kinder. Certainly no one in here needs that, but you could pass that on to somebody. This evening in Ruth chapter 3, we're in our fourth sermon in this series. We're going to conclude it next week. Ruth, R-U-T-H. It's right after Judges in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be on the screens. We're going to look at four things that we need to do. That we need to do. We need to do it for ourselves, and we need to do them for everybody in our lives. The little of the background here, you remember Ruth is the heroine of the story, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi's married. They're Jewish. Her and her husband's sons leave Bethlehem and Israel, and they go to Moab, a foreign country. While they're there, her husband dies. It's a terrible time of uh, years and years, thousands of years ago to be a widow. It's not good. Anytime it's really bad then. The two boys marry foreign women, and then the boys die, and then Ruth decides, or Naomi decides to go back home. She's bitter. She's broken. One of the daughter-in-laws goes back home with her, but now they're where God wants them to be. They're in God's spot. They're in a great place. They meet a man named Boaz, and... We see tonight four things that happen that are crucial for this story continuing to head toward a tremendously wonderful climax. I want to give you the four words. Here's the first word, and that's the word lead. You know what you need to do? Yeah, you need to follow. Many of us need to follow a lot better, but I I want to tell you this evening, all of us to some extent are leaders, and we need to lead. We need to influence. We need to step up and step out and have some courage in the areas of our lives where we're supposed to be leading. In verse 1 through 4, it says, One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so you will be provided for. That sounds a little strange, but it wasn't uncommon at all for parents, or in this case a mom-in-law, to try to help their kid get a husband or a wife and I guess if you got a kid in your house right now that's living at home, you'd like to move out, you'd do the same thing, wouldn't you? So maybe that's what Naomi's thinking. Verse 2, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. And, and tonight he will be weaning barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume. Ladies, are you listening? This is the key to catching the man of your dreams or your husband who should be the man of your dreams. And your nicest clothes, and then go to the threshing floor. Shower and perfume and put on your prettiest dress and go to the barn. <laughs> Naomi sounds like she's been hitting a bottle. Go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. We could end there, and you'd go home thinking the Bible is really weird, wouldn't you? <laughs> but it's going to make sense, I hope, I hope to you. The barley harvest comes to an end in May, and this was a celebratory time, and they had these 
threshing floors that were probably in these small communities, like a community place. And it's a flat floor, kind of a raised up, maybe like here. And the way they would, they would do this, they would wean out their barley or their wheat. They, they take their pitchforks, put it in there and toss it up in the air. This was late in the afternoon. It was a little cooler. The wind's blowing. And the chaff, the, the, the part wasn't good would blow away. And the barley was heavier. It'd fall back down. They'd do that several times. They'd gather the barley up and then they would eat and drink. And then they would stay there to protect their grain. And mama says, I want you to go. Mama-in-law, I want you to go there. Who's Boaz? Talked about him a little bit two weeks ago, three weeks ago. He's called a kinsman redeemer. That means absolutely nothing in, Ru- in Ruston, does it? Does it? But what, what it is, a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament is very important. It's a close relative to somebody. And if you're murdered back then, your kinsman redeemer was the one that was supposed to get justice, maybe even murder the person or execute the person who killed you. They were to protect your property or protect your family if you weren't there. And in some cases, when a person, a lady, was widowed, the closest relative to her husband would marry her. So it's a very important role in this Jewish society, and this Boaz is going to be thrashing. He's a kinsman redeemer. He can provide for us, and he can take care of us. This may sound really strange to you and me, and it sounds strange to me, and I've been looking at it for a long time now, but Naomi's given leadership to Ruth. Verse 12 and 13, and we'll explain these more in a moment. Ruth is at the threshing floor with Boaz here. It says, but while it's true, I'm one of your family's redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. You stay here tonight. In the morning, I will talk to him. He's willing to redeem you very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now, you lie down here and you go to sleep until the morning. May sound weird too, but Boaz is thinking ahead too. He's already figured out, hey, I'm, I'm next. There's one person in front of me to this woman and I want to marry her. And we got to figure out a way we can get around or see what he's going to do. And if he's not going to marry, you better believe I'm going to jump in there and marry. He's giving her leadership. He's giving her leadership about what to do. Simple things. It seems strange. I mean, I, I would tell you, tread with caution tonight if someone you love tells you to go to a barn, sneak in, and when the men go to sleep, snuggle up at their feet, you pray hard about whether they have heard God, whether they're giving you good leadership, but Naomi was giving her good leadership. And the things that Boaz was telling her about what she needed to do right then and what he was going to do in the days ahead and what he'd already been planning and and preparing to do was good leadership. And you know what the world needs now is it needs some stinking good leadership. We need it in in our government, in our country. We need it in our church house. And we need it in your homes. We need it in your families. Mom and dad, you need to be the leader in your house that God has called you to be. Quit being transformed by the world, but be transformed by the Word of God and lead from a godly perspective. In New York City, this was three years ago, so I don't know if it's still going on, but a, a lady advertised herself as a rent-a-mob. She said a lot of the young, the young people that moved to New York City are a long way from their parents, and for $40 an hour, mamas, that's cheap, isn't it? Wouldn't you charge your kids more if you could? If you, then $40, that sounds cheap to me. She'll come to your house. She'll cook you a pie. She'll cuddle up with you. She'll love you. She'll listen to you, not be judgmental, and give you advice because those young people need a mom. Let me tell you something, moms and dads. More than your kids need a buddy, they need a mom and a dad. 
They need a leader. You're a boss. Be a leader. To your friends, don't be pushy or arrogant or a bully, but be a leader. In the church, we need servants, but we need servant leaders. Someone said everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything does rise and fall, whether godly leadership or bad leadership. And you and I need to quit complaining about all the bad leaders in the world. You know what we need to do? We need to step up and we need to lead. Part of the key to this story this evening is Naomi and Boaz, in what seems like some strange ways, step up and lead. Man, there's people in your life that need encouragement. They need correction. They need direction. They need protection. They need prayer. Step up and do it. The first word tonight is the word lead. Here's the second word. You're not going to like this. It's ugly. Listen. Listen. The favorite word of a preacher. Listen. Verse 5. Ruth says, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. Now, again, she was just told, perfume up, bathe, put on your best garment, and go to the barn and cuddle up to this guy's feet. How many of you want to hear that? (laughs) How many of you think this is going to be great advice? Nobody's read this book but me. It's going to be tremendous advice. Again, I want you to look in verse 13. Stay here tonight, Boaz said. In the morning, I will talk to this other man, and if he's willing to marry you, great. If he's not, I will marry you. You lay down here until the morning. I'll explain that more in a moment, too. You know, the interesting thing about Miss Ruth, I'm going to give you a hint. She's going to be the grandmother of King David and the great, 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 great granny of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't happen until she's led properly and she listens to the people that are trying to lead her. I want to ask you a question this evening. How well do you listen? I mean, really. How well are you listening right now? Let's take a quiz. I'm just teasing, but it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? You know, sometimes I think we need to take our iPads and our phones and our TVs and we need to shut it down and we need to focus on what God and other people are having to say. How well you listen to God. I, I read this week, I thought this was pretty interesting. A lot of us say amen before God gets a chance to say anything. You guilty of that? Listen, man, God wants you to talk to him, but God would like to talk back occasionally, wouldn't he? And you know what? God's always got something good to say. Are you listening to God? Do you read your Bible? You read your Remember, God speaks through the Bible, and the Bible's our boundaries. God's never going to speak outside of the Bible. As weird as it may sound, what Naomi told Ruth to do was not outside of Scripture. God speaks to us through the Bible. God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you prayed and said, God, show me what to do? Speak to me, God. And we're willing to be quiet and listen. I want to tell you, listening to God in prayer is one of the hardest things. Because we're we're so distracted. 
But it's so important. The God of the universe wants to speak to us in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. never goes against the Bible. But it's amazing when I put a pen and paper down and I listen to God and I keep track of that over several weeks, how God always leads me so, so well. Isn't that amazing? God always leads so, so well. I was talking to somebody I love recently and we were talking about anxiety and And they said, you know, sometimes I move in a certain direction and I feel very anxious about it. You know what I said? That's God. I hate anxiety with all my heart. But sometimes that anxiety is not a psychological issue or a physiological issue. Sometimes it's God trying to get your attention to say, stop. You're going in the wrong direction. Listen to God. How how well do we listen? We talk a lot better. How well do you listen to other people? God does speak through sermons and through music and through lessons. God speaks through others. In this story here, God's speaking through this lady, and he's speaking through this man, and God wants to speak to you. Turn your TV off. Read your Bible more. I I read this today. This is incredible. This is from last year. The average American will live and die and spend seven years and eight months watching TV. Seven years of our life. And almost eight years of our life watching TV, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, we will spend about five years, and that's going up, 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 and up, five stinking years of our life playing on the computer. Not all of that's bad. Some of it is, but some of it's not. I found a wonderful thing in my family. I'm not going to mention the little granddaughter's name, Riley. But parents, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's how you ground your kid today. You take their technology from them. We got whipped. Now parents can't do that or you'll go to prison. Stick a kid in time out. That may work a while. Ground them, I don't know. You take their phone, their iPad, and their computer, they will be at your mercy begging God for help within a few days. Here's what happens when I've seen Alicia exact that capital punishment on Riley. The first two days, there's pure anger. There's hatred toward her mother and everybody that lives and breathes. Then there's that, my brain is coming back to normal. (laughs) And then there's that fully engaged, I listen, I'm happy, I'm enjoying. And then sadly, three weeks later, the grounding's over and they get the technology back and it repeats itself. I told Riley the other day, I said, please do something soon and get grounded. We want you back. I have faith that that will happen. I do. (laughs) You've heard it before. It's cliche, but it's so good. God gave you two ears and one tongue for a reason. Probably good to listen twice as much as we talk. Hey, listen to me. That's funny. No pun intended. How well do you listen? We don't listen well because maybe we don't have the mental ability to. I don't think that's the case with most of us. We don't listen well because we're just flat-out arrogant. (laughs) We don't want to hear what somebody else has to tell us. We're too busy. We're tired. Man, listen to God and listen to others. You don't make no progress in your life if you don't listen. Here's the third word, and that's the word trust. That's the word trust. I won't read it again, verse 1 through 5. Hey, put on your perfume, go to the barn and lay down at this guy's feet. Give me a break. What a weird thing to do. But in verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her (laughs) mother-in-law. 
You know what? If Cindy tells me tonight to go lay outside, I'm going to have to pray hard and think about that. I'm not sure I trust her wisdom enough on that. But you know, the whole key to this is that she trusted her mother-in-law and she trusted the things that Boaz was going to tell her to do. See, there's going to be a final step in this process tonight, but we never get this if we don't trust. How, do, do you trust God? You trust the right people in your life? I, I'm not saying there's people you've got to trust with a, like they are 100% infallible. That'd be silly. But you need to trust your husband or wife. You need to trust your parents. They need to trust you, mom and dad. You need to trust the leaders in our life. No progress without trust. There's no progress without faith or trust. This doesn't surprise me at all. I saw this group that, that calls themselves the trust barometer. They measure honesty and trustworthiness in our country. They've, they've existed for almost 30 years. And they say in America today, trust is at its lowest level in their time. I would agree with that. They said trust for our government is it 33%? I think that's amazingly high, don't you? They, if they did that again today, it might be 15%. But this group goes on and says that we are in a crisis of trust in our country. We don't trust one another. We don't trust our leaders. That is a problem because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want to encourage you this evening. I don't know what God's saying to you, but he's trying to speak. Isn't this great? God's trying to speak to you even tonight if you'll open your heart and your ears. You can trust God. There's no progress possible in your life spiritually or any other way if you won't trust God. And you've got to trust the right people in your world too. There's no, absolutely no doubt about that. You lead when it's time to lead, you listen, you trust, and the last word is the word obey. The word obey, and you might even put act if you're taking notes. Why in the world were they sleeping at the threshing floor? Well, they did that to protect their grain. They'd had a party, they celebrated, it was a fun thing. They just stayed there, they slept by their grain to protect it. Let's look at verse 6 through 8, what happens. So she went down, Ruth goes down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and he went to sleep. Then Ruth quietly uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. I thought a lot about that today. If I woke up tonight and a woman was lying at my feet, I pray to Jesus, it's my wife. Amen? If you're married. <laughs> Cindy and I have a king-size bed. This may be too much information for you, but she sleeps on one side. I sleep on one and our two boxers, not this kind, but the, the canine, sleep oftentimes in between us, and I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I can tell by the fur who it is. Is it Cindy or Medea or Hershey? Cindy's legs aren't near. They're not hairy. I'm... <laughs> can I spend the night with any of you tonight? 
Can you imagine, here's Boaz, he's had a great day, and he wakes up, and there's a young lady asleep at his feet. That's got to be weird, right? That's got to be weird. Maybe he said, God, you you answered my prayers, Lord. I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Look in verse 9. It's a sweet verse. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth. Remember, they didn't have lights. He didn't get his cell phone, you know, flashlight. Who, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The corner of your covering over me. This is a tremendously significant phrase. Spread your wings. Spread your blanket. Or It's an emblem of protection. It's the idea of a mother bird spreading its wings over its chicks to protect them. A Jewish man would take his prayer shawl and put it over his wife to protect her. This is a bold statement. She says, you're my kinsman redeemer. You know what she's saying? Hey, dude, cover me up because we're going to get married in the very near future. That's pretty bold, isn't it? And he doesn't freak out. You'd think he would. You'd think he might say, man, this makes me very uncomfortable. You're way too aggressive for me. <laughs> Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained. You are showing me even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous, honest, integrity young lady. But while it's true I'm one of your family's redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Verse 13, you stay here tonight. In the morning, I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him. If he won't, I will marry you. In verse 14, Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for the people to recognize each other. For Boaz said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Now, the kinsman redeemer, how close she worked in family was the key. If, if her husband would have had a, a brother that was living, he would have been the next in line. He was obviously dead. So maybe you went to a cousin next, and maybe the guy closest was a first cousin, and Boaz was a second cousin. The Bible's not clear on that, but basically he was saying, I'm second in line, and I'm praying to God the other guy's going to turn you down because I want you, sweetie. That's southern translation, but that's what he was saying. I want to marry you. Nothing wrong with that. They're both two singles. On the prowl at the threshing floor there in Bethlehem. <laughs> they were good Baptists. They weren't dancing on that floor. You notice that, though. So that, that was important. Hey, here's a, here's a neat little principle in verse 14. We won't read it again. But he tells her, look, honey, you need to get up early and go ahead and leave. Nothing, listen to me, nothing happened improper with them. But what he was saying, we don't, we don't have a hint an appearance of anything going wrong. That, that's the Christian philosophy. Don't only be right, but you need to appear right. Be right, but appear right. Listen, be careful in how you obey. Be careful in what you do right. I don't know who said this, but if you're taking notes, you ought to write it down. We need to be careful in doing right because the gossips are not careful in how they talk. You be careful... And doing right because the, the ones who gossip and slander are not careful in what they say. Verse 15 through 17. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley. 
I don't know if that was a cereal. That wasn't a cereal. Into the cloak and placed it on her back, and she returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked her, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Some scholars say that was about 60 pounds of barley, which that would have taken care of that that widow and her daughter-in-law for a long, long time. Ruth was a stout young lady, wasn't she? I mean, she takes that 60 pounds of barley, and some people said she put it on her head. She walked home. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Put 60 pounds on your head to not walk around the house and call me. Let's see how that goes. And in verse 18, Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter. Wait until what happens. We'll see what happens. The man won't rest until he's settled things today. You come back next week, we're going we're gonna to bring the story to a glorious conclusion in chapter 4. But you know, here's what happened. You had good leadership. You had someone who would listen to the people who were trying to give her leadership, listening to God who was speaking through those people. She trusted them. Do you trust the right people in your life? And then she obeyed. She acted. Some of you tonight know what you need to do. God's telling you. Maybe it's just in the Bible. You just need to obey what the Bible's telling you. That's, some of you, it's the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's circumstances. It's other people. And, and, and you know what you need to do, but you're not doing it. Listen, trust God, and obey God, several years ago, and this happens every summer in Southern California, terrible wildfires, burning up neighborhoods, burning up acreages, people dying. And one of the responders they talked to, here's what he said, people will not listen, trust us, and obey. We come in and say, get your kids and your pets and get out of here. And they want to stay and pack all their belongings and get everything and clean their house, and they die. You hesitate to obey when those wildfires are coming, you may die. Listen, all that's at stake with you and I obeying God may be life and death. It may be your marriage. It certainly is your joy and your peace and your effectiveness. So many grouchy, ineffective Christians says we don't not, we don't obey God. We lose the power of God and the fruitfulness in our life. Listen, hear what God and other people are trying to say to you. Trust God and act and obey God. I read this this week, and I want to share it with you in closing. Tragedies and life lead to despair and depression. Wouldn't you agree with that? But if we will listen to God and the right people, and we will trust them, and we will obey God meticulously, God always comes beside us. God always comforts us. God always guides us and leads us right where we need to be and where ultimately we will want to be. And again, I say to you, the choice is ours. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to obey God tonight. And give your life to Jesus. You come now. You catch me at this door after church. You give your life to Christ. 
you're here tonight and, and you'd like to join the church, you can do that after church for sure, or you can come when we give the invitation. God's telling you to do it, obey Him. You're a Christian this evening. Maybe you need to get some things right with God. Maybe it's just a commitment to listen and trust Him and obey. Hey, where you're standing or at the altar, all that depends on it is everything in your life. Obey God tonight. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come. We'll be waiting on you.